Yeah, I don't, I don't know the technical jargon of everything, but I am a firm believer that all TV will be internet based at some point. There will the cables yeah. that are run through your your neighborhood yeah. will no longer exist. It'll all be based on on, on subscriptions through through internet providers. I, I absolutely agree. What the hell is that? What would you say you do here? Weekly Dose. Because I'm kind of an idiot. I'm a dumb guy. Brian, you don't have to keep trying so hard to impress me. I already really like you. Your midweek download destination. I told you about Brian. I told you. Come on, man. Brian was just making a joke. I'm so lucky to have met you, Brian. You're such an amazing guy. It's Stone's Weekly Dose. And note to self, don't die. Oh, welcome in, everybody. Uh, day and a dollar late. My bad, my bad. Had hundreds of people hitting me up on Twitter like, man, where are you? Text messages everywhere. Facebook, inbox, DMs, all saying, bro, where were you? We were looking for the show on Wednesday. And by hundreds, I mean there was one. But, uh, hey, what can you do, right? Life gets in the way sometimes. I try like hell to get this thing out every Wednesday. I think it's important. Consistency is king. Uh, as soon as somebody who's anticipating something that you're you're going to put out there for consumption isn't there, is the minute people start considering not looking for it anymore. I understand that more than anybody because that's a you know a radio 101 day one kind of thing, and it's not just radio. It's all kinds of different products and and services and and um and 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 things you want people to consume and if it's not there when they're looking for it there's only so many times they're going to anticipate it before they forget about it i totally get that uh having said all that i have a real job that pays me a livable wage with incredible benefits that kept me tuesday night until after 10 p.m and so my allegiances are there and I can't walk away from that to make sure I get this done. And this production is, it's not a huge production, but there is a lot that goes into it. I kind of piece it together throughout the week. But I need a good, especially since this one wasn't completely done yet, I need a good four hours. I need a good four solid hours to uh, to not be rushed. Because, I, I mean, it's not that I couldn't get it done quicker. It's just I don't want to be rushed. And when I didn't get home until 10 o'clock, it's like, okay, well, we're done now. Now, the interesting thing, though, that happened. This week is that my cousin out in Hollyweird, Sheila Lawrence, is a superstar in life. 
And she's been up for, I mean, there's been possibilities of shows. She, she writes for uh, sitcoms, television shows. And uh, not just sitcoms for network TV, for um, from now uh, internet-based TV, which I'll get to more of that here in a minute based on that the front end you heard there. And there's been opportunities for her to potentially win Emmys for years, but we never for sure thought, oh, this is the year, this is the year. And this was the year that she won an Emmy. And um, I wanted to shift gears, too, once I realized I wasn't going to get the show out on time. So I'll come back to that here in a minute. But when I put those little opens together, I started doing that, I don't know, a year ago. And I think it's a fun way to start the show. Well, I, I had originally had another open put together already, ready to go. And I can't abandon it now because while it doesn't take hours to make, it doesn't take just minutes to make either. So this was the original opening for this show today. Reached the voicemail box of. Hey, it's Brian. And while this is not an assurance, but if you do not leave a voicemail, there is no chance that I'll call you back. Thanks. Bye. Hey, season ticket members. This is Kevin Byer here with your Tennessee Titans. I can't wait to see you back at Nissan Stadium this Sunday. Kickoff is at noon, beginning your season early. My teammates and I can't wait to hear you loud in those stands as we take the field against the Texans. I'm ready for game day. Are you? Let's tighten up. Kevin Byer here with your Tennessee Titans. I'm ready for game day. Let's tighten up. Kevin Byer threw it. Crookshank with the score. And how about those tricky Titans here in the first quarter? A 66-yard And then that would go into the open. And I had that put together because I, I got that robocall from uh, the Titans on Friday before the opening weekend. Nashville, and I knew it was the robocall because I always get one. I saw a 615 number, so I let it go to voicemail because I wanted to hear it and I wanted it to be recorded potentially for use on the show. And I, So then I listened to it, and it's Kevin Byard, one of our better defensive players and on uh, special teams, and he he's it's a great call. I love the guy, but I thought this is going to be hilarious. So when we get our asses kicked, I'm going to play that, and then I'm gonna play like da da dum ba dum, you know, like you know that awful sound of like everything went to hell. Turns out that not only did everything not go to hell, the biggest play of the game, the most exciting play of the game, Kevin Byard was involved in up in Nashville. So I had to uh, at least put that out there. I could not let that little mini production go to waste. All right, so let's see where am I gonna go here? Uh, in a few minutes, I'm gonna get you an interview I did eleven years ago hold on to that for a second the return of the stones throw segment will be coming up next that will be uh talking about this nike mess i'm gonna go just a short period of time on that and then the final segment i'm gonna talk about climate change global warming conversation and how it does or doesn't have anything to do with hurricanes as hurricane florence is now long gone but the uh the disaster in its wake is still certainly there even though we're a little bit later into the week so a kind of abbreviated uh two and a half segment show next week i'm going to be in destin florida i'm leaving on saturday i'll be gone all week people ask me my brother's getting married i'm in part of the wedding as far as doing the dj and for it and the you know hey everybody now welcome so and so you know that kind of thing 
And that's on Saturday. And I'm staying until I get annoyed. <laughs> Whenever the gossip and the drama starts to build, that's when I'm out. So if that's five days, it's five. If it's three, it's three. If it's seven, it's seven. Uh, we'll see how it goes. But the chances are I'm not going to do a show next week. Having said that, I didn't realize until recently that I was going to have such a, uh, a prominent kind of role in this wedding that I'm taking all my gear with me because I need it for, for the wedding. And if I get bored or if there's something fun to talk about, Maybe I will put together a podcast down live on location, a uh, tour stop, if you will, live from Destin, Florida. Can't promise you anything. That's all I'll say about that for right now. But here in the opening segment, before we get to Stone's Throne, there are two women in my life that inspire me more than anybody. And a lot of times, you know, and that's going to sound a little assholeish in some ways, you know, people automatically, my, mo- my mother is my most influential. My father is my most influential. No, my mother and my father play a big role in, in the development of my life, no doubt. I'm not discounting that. I'm not trying to, 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 to minimize that or marginalize that in any way. But they're not the ones who shape the way I've become what I am now and what I'm into and what drives and inspires me now. Because we don't have a whole lot in common when it comes to the contemporary nature of what I do on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. So make sure you get that out of the way, that this is not coming across as some kind of, oh, Brian doesn't care about his family or his parents, because part of this has to do with uh, family. Two women, and I can dig up some men that I'll go into another time, but two women that inspire me more than anybody in my life. That is Letitia Wolf, who is my high school sweetheart and is still to this day one of my best friends and my favorite human beings on the planet. And my cousin, Sheila Lawrence. And the main reason is, is first, well, first of all, the blanketed reason is they're incredibly talented people with amazing drive who have done incredible things with their life. And it's on one of those micro kind of things. It's not like they've gone on to have this name that everybody, you know, they can walk down the street anywhere and, and nobody knows who they are. I think that's like the most amazing level of success you can get to, where you can be well-known for certain things in certain circles. You make a nice living, you're living well, and you're creating with complete creative control, and most people still don't even barely know who you are. That sounds like the, that's my American dream. I don't want to be so famous everybody knows me. That sounds awful. And I don't want to be so nobody that nobody knows me. That sounds awful. But in the circles of of the industry in which you work, having the utmost respect of everybody around you in those settings and then able to just walk down and go to the Whole Foods and nobody knows who you are, but you know that what you've done is important, that that is some inspiring stuff right there, guys and gals. So Letitia Wolf, Dead Deads, I've talked about her many times. I'll put her to the side. This is about Sheila. So she is my my cousin, uh, my dad's brother's daughter, obviously, and they've lived out in California. I was born in Oceanside outside of San Diego, uh, f- moved into Chattanooga in 1986. In a lot of ways, I'm glad we came here. In a lot of ways, I would love to know what it had been like me growing up in Southern California and imagining what kind of person I might have ended up being. I, I, don't, I, I don't wish that that happened. I'm, the way things went, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I'm at where I'm at, and I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing. But for years, Sheila has been writing for so many television shows that you've heard of. Uh, just hu- Mad About You back in the day would be her first big break. Ugly Betty, uh, Ugly Betty. I don't watch a lot of TV. 
um, at all. So I, I, a lot of the shows she works on, I don't even know. I've barely even seen any of the shows she's ever done. And I don't, that's not some kind of like, I'm not concerned about what you're doing. It's just, you know, she hasn't listened to my radio shows either, but she's proud of me and, and enjoys what I've done as well. We've taught, we've, we've had a, a pretty good long distance relationship for, for all these years. Now we might go years without communicating, but that doesn't mean it's not still a strong relationship and an inspiration beyond belief. But so I start to hear through the grapevine that she won this Emmy earlier on this week, and it's for a show that I have never heard of. It's called The Marvelous Miss Macell. I think it's how you say that. I thought it was on HBO. I have bad information. My bad. My dad told me HBO, and then I put it on Facebook when someone asked. I said, yeah, it's on HBO. She's like, no, dude, it's on Amazon Prime. I'm like, damn it. Damn it. I did exactly what I complain about everybody else doing all the time. Don't. Just throw something out there as fact if you just heard it from somebody, even if it's your father. My bad, my bad, my apologies. It's on Amazon Prime. The Marvelous Miss, Miss, Mrs. Macell on Amazon Prime. And so then I thought, I, back, what year was it? What year did I interview Sheila? What inter- year did she come on the, the radio with me? And then I, rem- I realized, I remember, oh, that's right. It was a writer's strike. It was such a huge story in late 2007 going into 2008. It was the first year of Breaking Bad. It was the reason Breaking Bad was only like seven episodes the first season because the writer's strike shut everything down. And nobody ever seen anything like this. And nobody understood what it was like. And it was, even South Park took shots at the Writers Guild because it was, you know, it was attention grabbing and it was funny, but they, even they didn't have it right. The writers knew exactly what they were doing. They were the first ones to strike and said, listen, guys, TV is not what you think it is anymore. These plugging this cable into the side of your, the, your, the, the building of your house on the wall is not how this is going to be going forward. And if we don't get a new contract that incorporates new media, we are going to be screwed in the long run. They had the foresight to understand that. But you got to remember... And I'm going to come back to more of this later on, the perception of time and eras. you got to remember, this was 2007. The iPhone was brand new. Only your techie, you know, high-end rich folk people had an iPhone. This was a different world. And even at that time, we were sitting around having a conversation on the old crappy talk radio 102.3 when I was just getting started, my first year into hosting shows. And we were talking about how internet was going to be the way you watch TV going forward. And at the time, people were like, what? What the hell are you talking about? What is that? That doesn't make any sense. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And look at it here, 11 years later, and that's pretty much where we're at. On top of that, Sheila also throwing me a bone, just getting started working in talk radio. She stopped on the side of the road in you know downtown Hollywood and waited on the phone call and did this for me just to help me push along my career. And I'm indebted to her for the rest of my life. She didn't want to do that. She didn't want to sit around and talk on the phone to some Yahoo on the radio about why they were having a writer's strike. But she did that for me. At the time, I didn't understand the, um, and I guess for lack of a better way, I'll just say the charitable nature of that. But in retrospect, I can realize that that was something she did be- to help me and help my career And that's not lost on me. That might have been overlooked at the time because I was 27 years old trying to just put together content. But 11 years later, I can look back and realize how important and uh, I cherish her her decision to, to do that for me. So for the next 12 minutes, I'm going to play that interview 
in its entirety. It's Sheila Lawrence from the Writers Guild of America talking with me, Brian Stone, from, at the time, Talk Radio 102.3. This is December of 2007, 11 years ago, discussing the Writers Screen Actors Guild strike and the reasons for it. My name is Brian Stone, hanging out with you just for a little while longer, just shy of uh, noon here, barreling down on ABC News in the afternoon time. Then it's time for me to get on and go make some real money at a real job. But I appreciate the time that I am given to spend with you here on Fred the Show. A lot of stuff going on today. Uh, Busy, busy, busy day. And that's a good thing because uh, that's what I needed on a final day of a long, long, long week. Show number 25. Yes, Jeff Styles counts years I count shows. Maybe one of these days I'll get to a point where I can count years as well, but uh, we'll see how that goes. On the line with me right now, um, Sheila Lawrence. Been trying to make this happen for quite some time. Uh, Sheila, first of all, get the personal stuff out of the way. Happy birthday the other day. Uh, oh, my God. Con- con- <laughs> Thank you. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> congrat- congratulations on the, uh, the, the new edition, uh, the, the the getting married. Now, yeah, da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, con- yeah. Congrats on all that. On all that. Thank you. I appreciate it. But, uh, and, and I appreciate all your listeners having to, to, have to, having to put up with us catching up with each other. Well, we had to do that. <laughs> I haven't talked to you in 100 years. So uh, exactly. any, anyway, the reason you're calling Writers uh, Guild of America is that you are a member of. I and am. as everybody is pretty aware of right now, you guys are on strike. We are out we here are. in this out here on this side of, of, of the of the free world. That's uh, it, it's it's we don't really quite understand exactly what that's all about, and that's what you're here to to tell us today. But give me a quick uh, rundown, just so the listeners know that you're you're for real and and, and things you have done and where you're going and what what you've been, uh, been up to. Well, up until the strike, anyway. Oh, um, I I've been writing for the last two years on a, an ABC show called Ugly Betty, um, and prior to that, wrote for three years on a, on a show called Gilmore Girls. And um, I'm just trying to hit the ones people have actually heard of. Yeah, I get... a show called Mad About You for a while, yeah. and then and then you know interspersed in there a whole lot of shows that uh, you know no one would remember, including most people who worked on them. Very very short lived <laughs> shows, but th- th- those are the highlights. That I well, well that's the with. nature of the business, really. I mean, you, you you try to find one that sticks, and then you bounce around until you find another one. Absolutely. And in fact, Ugly Betty is the first like new show that I ever worked on from, from the day that it started that was still around by Christmas time. I mean, usually really? shows, you know, come and go and you don't even remember them. So I, I got really lucky this time. Well, my dad told me that uh, that you named that after me. What about Brian? But I, I didn't believe him. <laughs> you put me in an awkward spot because he's made me promise to back him up on that. <laughs> but, but, I, but I didn't actually promise, so I'm saying nothing. All right. <laughs> what, what are the details on this strike? Just, I mean, I know it's over new media, over over the Internet and, and things like that, but that that's just layman's. Well, g- give me a handful of, 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 the, of the situations going on and what is so hard to make this work? They need you people. That, well, thank you. We appreciate, appreciate hearing that, and, and we like to think so. Um, the, the thing about the strike that's unbelievable to me is, is and, and everyone involved, is, is we, we're not asking for anything exorbitant. We're not asking even for a raise. We're not asking for, you know, anything other than to just keep up with the technology that's, that's changing, you know, pretty rapidly before our eyes. That, you know, the, the contract that we have right now is obviously based on a, a TV model. But as, as we all know, the Internet, you know, isn't really a fad. It's becoming, you know, bigger and bigger day by day. Sure. And, and even now, you, you can get TV shows on the Internet, and, and the, the forecast is that in the next five years, that'll happen more and more. And so all we're looking for is coverage to, to extend to the Internet, basically. So if we write something originally for the Internet or we write something for television that then is replayed on the Internet, 
we just want to be covered fairly for that. And you're just um, you're just talking about the things that that are that are actually being viewed and bought and paid for legally. This is not like you're going after bootleggers. This, oh, no, this, absolutely. Yeah, this, that's, that's people not are making on the radar. It's it's the legal things that the um, studios are are going to be making billions of dollars off of. Um, and, and by the way, they're claiming that they won't. So they're claiming that oh no, and the internet is new and we don't know. We might not make any money off of it. Yeah. Is what they tell us. And then they tell their shareholders, no, 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 we will make a billion dollars next year alone. So we're just looking for, and not just for us, we're, we're just the first to negotiate, but we're looking for a fair share for us, for the actors, for crew members, for all of the unions that will um, eventually be negotiating their own deals after ours is in place. Well, yeah, like you were saying, it's, it's, beginning, it's not a fad. It's, it's here to stay, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I, I mentioned uh, going into the break, I don't watch TV. I, 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 yeah. just, I just don't. I'm just one of those rare breeds that just does not watch TV. And um, but I do. And the the reason I don't watch TV is because I listen to a lot of radio because that's just what I'm in. And that's what I dig. But but I I, I'm I'm all over the Internet. I am all over the Internet. Without the Internet, I would watch TV. But I get my entertainment from there. I watch, uh, you know, if I want to catch a South Park I didn't see from Comedy Central, I swing over to a website and watch it. The pe- the yeah. writers for these shows when I'm doing that are not getting paid for what I'm watching there, and I can do it at any time I want, a uh, hundred times over and over again if I want. You're exactly right, you're, that, and that's that's exactly you're the kind of person right now who's the reason stealing, that we're doing this. And, <laughs> stealing but from you. Because, but, but in a few years from now, I mean, it's hard to imagine now, but in a few years from now, TV will probably you, you will watch it through the internet, and, and and it's weird to talk about the future and technology, but 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 it will be some kind of thing where TV comes through the internet, and we're just trying to to cover that, like to cover to have a contract that that applies to that. Whereas you know, right now, you know, if we're covered for television and you write a show, and they're like, ah, we aired it on the internet instead, so you don't get paid. You know, that that's what we're trying to avoid. Um, again, it, it's amazing to me that to hear the way it's presented in the media. You would think we were asking for something crazy and outlandish, and oh, greedy writers just wanting a giant piece of the pie, and that couldn't be further from the truth. We're really just looking for, you know, a fair model that keeps up with the technology. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the technical jargon of everything, but I am a firm believer that all TV will be internet based at some point. There will the cables yeah. that are run through your your neighborhood yeah. will no longer exist. It'll all be based on on, on subscriptions through through internet providers. I, I absolutely agree. All right, I, I was reading agree. on this I was reading on this last night. It looks like everybody in the guilds of your area, the screen actors, the directors uh, guild all uh-huh. are in the na- are, are closing in on potential strikes. Am I reading that right? No, you're absolutely right. Um, the Writers Guild contract is, is always the first one to come up, which is why we're out there right now. But uh, the Screen Actors Guild, their contract will be up in June. Ju- yeah, June 08 is what I read. Exactly. And they're, they're very much on the same page as us. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we will not still be on strike by then. Hopefully we can get this resolved, and then that'll... That'll make their negotiations easier too, and hopefully there wouldn't have to be any more strikes. However, we're not gonna we're not gonna settle for for a bad deal. So the, the potential exists that you know if we're still on strike, then they would join us in June, and um, we'll see what happens. The directors have slightly different issues, and I, and I don't want to you know bore anyone with all the specific details of that. But they're not quite as uh, invested in the same way, so they they might potentially make a deal before us, um, but without scripts or actors, there's not a lot they'd be able to do. So sure. Um, Talking to Sheila Lawrence with the uh, Writers Guild of America on Talk Radio 102.3. And Fred, the show. Brian, and for Jeff, just a few more minutes left here. Um, uh, Leno, Conan, uh, Kimmel, uh, just to name uh, three that that, that have come out here recently, are attempting to move on in the new year, you know, a handful of days, weeks from now, without writers. 
Uh, yeah. I, I make the joke, Leno sucked with riders. Um, so I, Sorry, I laughed a little too hard at that. You're fine. No, it's hilarious. Uh, he sucks. Um, but, uh, you know, Conan, he, his background is riding. That's what he yeah. did. That's where he came from. Um, yeah. How could, Did they get scab riders, if you will, or, or, or yeah. how does that work? How does uh, that work? And this isn't my area of expertise, but I believe what they will do is just do the show on their own um, and, and focus more on it, – it's, it's, it's legal gray area, but focus more on their hosting duties. I mean, a, a large percentage of all of those shows are, are the interview segments with, with actors coming on to you know, promote their movies or whatever. So that, that part is not technically scripted. So I think it would be – we do about their monologue situations if they – I, I just don't know because it, I, I assume each host would have to kind of examine their own conscience and how they want to handle it. And, and I know um, all three of them, but in particular Conan and Jimmy Kimmel, have been incredibly supportive of the Writers Guild. And I know that it was a really tough, tough personal decision for them to make. You know, you, you want to honor your guild and support the other writers, and yet you have a crew of you know 200 people who could have jobs again if you were willing to, to go back to work. So um, they'll just, I, I'm sure they'll just try to strike some kind of balance, and the shows won't look like the shows that we've traditionally seen. I think that, you know, there'll be no um, comedy bits at the beginning, not necessarily a monologue, or else just a monologue that the host themselves wrote. But I, um, I don't believe there would be any scab writers um, and the Guild actually has in place, we've even got a scab hotline where if anyone hears of scab writing going on, they report it. And there really is a lot of solidarity right now amongst the writers. So I don't think the scabbing situation would happen. And if they did that, that would pretty much ruin their career to be able to do anything else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No no Writers Guild writer would ever hire them again. Well, so. I'll, I'll tell you tell you what Leno's going to do. He's going to just start making jokes about Bill and Monica again, probably, because I think I just heard one of those about a month ago. <laughs> I got him laughs from somebody, not myself. Uh, <laughs> Sheila Lawrence from the uh, Writers Guild of America. I appreciate your time, and um, I'm just looking here in the paper from our, our, our rag here in town, the Chattanooga Times Free yeah. Press. Is Katie Holmes really about eight inches taller than Tom Cruise? Because in this picture, she's towering over him. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know them personally, but I, I will say he is um, he's a tinier man. I figured you'd seen him out thing. somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it looks like she's standing on the first place uh, Olympic gold medal stand, and he's like on the bronze. <laughs> I, I believe there's a lot of creative shooting that goes on in his films, and a lot of uh, you know standing him on boxes and other people in ditches just uh, to, to make him look like um, an average-sized man when, when in fact he's just on the height-challenged side. <laughs> so. Well, it's amazing what a little bit of uh, photography and uh, film and, and uh, tricky directors can do to make somebody look big and badass and. Uh, front of everybody exactly. <laughs> the magic of film Sheila, so. i appreciate it a lot uh very interesting um, topic a lot of people this is big news i mean the tv people are not like me they watch this stuff all day long and they don't like reruns so i know i know and it's only gonna get worse they're gonna you know they've been able to still show new shows right now but probably starting in january it'll be a lot of a lot of reruns um, so hopefully, again, hopefully this will end soon. That's the, the big message that we, we don't want this strike. We, we want to do And I like watching, you know, The Daily Show and would love to see new ones. So. I hear you. Well, I appreciate it, Sheila. I know Bye. it's early. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on. And it's a very cool thing to make some time for us this, uh, this morning on Talk Radio 102.3 and Fred the Show. Great. It was good talking to you. All right. Thanks, Sheila. Bye. Brian in for Jeff. Just a few more minutes. It ain't going to change anytime soon, it doesn't look like. Serious, Katie Holmes. 
is like a head taller than, than Tom Cruise. I don't even know how he could feel secure in himself enough to be hanging out with a girl that tall. I guess that's what $100 billion can do. You don't care what, what how tall you are. A few minutes away from the top of the hour and uh, putting the wraps on a week. Getting ready for Christmas. Run DMC. Your Christmas tunage. Fred the show. Jeff Stein, observations on the human condition morning. Dr. B on the science of sports afternoons. And the best vocabularies this side of Boston. Middays with Robert T. and Marianne. Smart people talking for your amusement and entertainment. The Talk Team at 102.3. The Talk So that promo cut off there. I left it there for a reason because everybody mentioned in that promo is long gone from that radio station. Jeff Styles, as of recently, rest in peace, Dr. B, Gary Haskew, Marianne Williams, and Robert T. Nash. I left that there just to give you an idea, a remembrance of just how that was just a different world. 2007. And I, when I found that interview and was going to play it back, I thought, man, I bet this is going to suck. That was a long time ago. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, no, actually, I'm going to give myself some credit. That was pretty good. <laughs> 27 years old, barely knowing what I'm doing. That was pretty good. But all the credit goes to Sheila Lawrence, who gave me, uh, she gave me content to work with, put it on a tee, and let me hit it out of the park from a local aspect, from a content standpoint. And that was a huge... That was a huge turning point in my uh, in my professional life where I really I was like that this is something to be proud of. And uh, if you can ever do anything in life, no matter what it is and be proud of it, that's good. So thank you so much Sheila. Is she listening to this? I have no idea and I wouldn't be surprised if she didn't. I don't watch any of her TV shows. I remember in the 90s, you know, we would go over to the 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 TV and try to read real quick and hit the VCR so we could uh, see her name in the credits. But I just, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV. She gets that. She's cool with that. But, uh, man, that was fun. That was cool. I was so happy to find that audio, and I'm so happy for her. Her husband, as a matter of fact, also is a prominent writer in Hollywood, and he is uh, one of the prominent writers for Criminal Minds, a show I also have never watched. So we'll put the wraps on that right there. Coming up next... Nike might have known what they were doing all along, and it was just a bunch of boring, old, rich, white people that thought it was awful. What am I talking about? Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? Ah, the return of the Stone's Throw segment. Scratched it for a while, figured this was as good a time as any to bring it back. My name is Brian Stone, the Stone On Air Podcast, the weekly dose for September 20th. 2018. So Nike does this thing with Colin Kaepernick. And the interesting thing about this, at least from my perspective on the timeline, is that I first started doing this podcast as a standalone right about the time that this thing was happening, right about the time that the election was coming up, right about the time that really the world had another one of its societal and cultural shifts. 
and one that's going to be uh, looked at for the history of the country of the world of of civilization as an interesting you know portion of the uh, the, the textbooks of the of the history books. So I've been kind of been watching this unfold this entire time, and I've had two or three shows on it early on for for sure. And I, I, as I remember, one thing I said, and right after it first started damn near two years ago was there's nothing more American than like forcing somebody to do something. Right. And then it's just gone further and further away from what it ever was supposed to be. The numb nuts of the world, the, you know, the soup, the, the, the South park style people that go to the Trump rallies and rabble, 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 rabble and yell and scream and hoot and holler and wear those stupid ass hats that say whatever they say. They think it's something that is not, uh, Kaepernick himself might be saying something that it's not. I don't really give a shit about it anymore. I mean, I just, I truly don't. If there's anything the last two years has kind of conditioned me to, is a lot of apathy. And I don't like that because apathetic nature of things, apathetic attitudes, kind of, kind of lame. But, you know, whatever. You know, I don't care about Colin Kaepernick any more than I care about any other asshole I don't care about this week. But what I do like is, is continue to expose the fake outrage types. And that's what's come out of this Nike thing. The uh, the, the the campaign for Just Do It. The 30-year uh, kind of reinvention of Just Do It. And they're absolutely uh, geniuses. These are, these are some of the smartest minds in the world that have put together this campaign. Because what they have done is they have taken a polarizing issue and they have put it on the front burner and they have every single person or at least a large majority of people who have access to a social media account talking about it what could be better than that what could be better than that and then immediately the stock plunges after one day and because only people who overreact to the stock market are the people who don't know what the hell is going on stock market is a macro thing talked micro earlier macro one day stock market doesn't mean anything numb nuts it's long-term stock market that means something. You know why people overreacted on the stock market? Because it's run and operated, mostly traded amongst old, rich, white people. Now, there's plenty of rich, different color people involved in it as well, but you get my point. My point being, if you haven't gotten it, I'll tell you what it is. Nike doesn't give a shit about what old, white, rich men are doing. I'll never buy a Nike's shoes again. Bro, you weren't buying Nike shoes anyway. I'll burn the I'm never I'll boycott this. This is this is an outrage. Never ever again. Listen, boycott out fake outrage type old white guy. You weren't gonna do that anyway. You weren't gonna buy Nike shoes or shirts or apparel at any point of your life in any time. And Nike understands this. And they don't care if you're mad about it. All the fake outrage types have done is created more exposure for a multi, 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 multi-billion dollar company that had been losing market share to companies like Under Armour and, I don't know, Adidas and whoever else. I don't know. I don't have those lists in front of me. They don't care what that person thinks. And when you make these fake memes and these and these over-the-top bombastic posts on, on social media, all you're doing is proving them right. They want young, they want women, they want minorities, they want millennials. They want people who are who are spending their money on that kind of apparel and those kinds of mindsets 
are more on the side of a liberal nature. Whether they agree with Colin Kaepernick or not is not the point. That's not, they don't care if you agree with him or not. They want to cause a reaction, and damn it, if they didn't get one. And I don't have the numbers exactly going. Well, I got a few here. Let's take a look at this. This is from NASDAQ.com. North America, where the controversy is most relevant, is expected to account for just under 40% of company sales this fiscal year through May. And growth in the region is slower than in the rest of the world. They're counting on the United States of America for 40% of their sales meaning 60% of their sales come from the rest of the world. And the rest of the world is majority laughing at us for good, for better, or for worse. I'm not saying that's that I don't have a greater point to that. The median age of U.S. basketball and football players is about 16. Baseball players, 19. Runners, 29. Weightlifters, 33. In recent years, Nike has said it wants to focus on selling more to women, young consumers, and runners. You know who that isn't? Old, rich, boring white guys that are saying that are pretending like they're not going to go to NFL games anymore because of somebody uh, were placing their knee somewhere on turf. They don't really care about that. They're not really mad about it. They just are bored and want to be pissed off about something today. This is from again, as I mentioned all the time, it never prints off the damn website. The the uh, author of this piece is Ian Hofworth. Ian Hofworth. Nike knew exactly what they're doing. Don't fall for it. It's reasonably safe to assume that Nike doesn't care deeply about the movement Kaepernick is supposedly an advocate for. What matters to them is not the topic of police brutality, inequality, or whether an NFL team should be hiring Kaepernick or not. What they care about is making money by selling clothing. That is achieved through advertising, which means their brand needs to be as widespread as possible and discussed on a daily basis. This is what they have achieved on both sides of the Kaepernick debate. Those who believe that Kaepernick is a hero fighting for civil rights, abandoned by the NFL, are applauding Nike's decision to showcase him and their new media. Social media is a lit with celebration, every post labeled with a Nike logo or just do it. Those who are disgusted by Kaepernick, his actions or his beliefs, display their outrage by posting videos of burning Nike products, calling for a boycott, or making satirical just-do-it posters featuring other controversial characters. One paragraph left. It is important to remember that when any divisive character is chosen by a company whose main goal is profit, the decision was carefully made. And people should not react like the sheep they are assumed to be by exploding in their outrage. Remember that Kaepernick is not on the posters for his abilities on the football field. Nike is well aware of this. Their outrage only fuels the reward for choosing a divisive personality in the first place. If you want Kaepernick to go away, then don't mention Nike or just do it. Don't scream for boycotts or burn products that you've already paid for. Just ignore it. Buy different products if that makes you feel more comfortable. Don't rise to the obvious bait, which everybody did. Just like Nike knew everybody would. Because there is no self-control in our society and culture that we live in right now. None. And certainly no self-control when it comes to social media. Not when you can immediately react to every single thing that pisses you off or makes you happy every single second of your life. Nike knew it, and they went for it, and in the long term, they think it's going to work out, and I agree with them. I appreciate you guys and girls finding the 
latest podcast. It comes out every Wednesday if all goes well. This week, things didn't go all well, and I'm also spending the entire week trying to get ready to leave for a week in Destin, Florida, which in my life is not something that happens very often. I have not been to the beach. Speaking of the interview I did with Sheila earlier from 2007, I haven't been to the beach since 2006. Uh, Vacations are not really in the the mold all that much. I mean, there's a Bonnaroo, there's music festivals, those kinds of things. But taking off for a week to the beach throws me for all kinds of loops. But it's fun. I'm enjoying it. I'm happy all this is going down. I'm thrilled that you're here, and the numbers have been incredible. They have been so far off the page the last couple of months. You guys are coming in droves. You're listening. You're sharing. You're commenting on and things and I love you to death. Stone on air on all social media. Uh, rate and review if you get an opportunity, uh, especially on iTunes. If you don't feel like that, then don't. Don't mess with it. But if you know how to do it, that would be awesome. And even if you think the show sucks, just say, hey, I think the show sucks because at least there's activity and somebody's looking at something. I'll be right back. Coming up next, I'm going to talk about eh, a little politically uh, uh, polarizing with the, the, the global climate change, global warming, and hurricanes. But I'm not I'm not here to push buttons. I'm just kind of wondering out loud because I don't think about it all that much. Hurricanes, and are, are they worsening because of man-made events? I, I mean, I'm, I'm legitimately asking that question. I'll get into more of that coming up next. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. The U.S. eastern seaboard is now feeling the wrath of Hurricane Florence. These are some of the scenes from overnight in North Carolina. Winds of up to 150 kilometers an hour tearing down much in their path. Catastrophic flash flooding swallowing up streets. Life-threatening storm surge on the coast as well. The hurricane party's winding down and we're all waiting for the end. This is James McMurtry, one of the finest songwriters you'll ever hear. And I don't want another drink. I only want that last one again. I don't want another drink. I only want that last one again. It gave me such a fine glow, smoky and slow. Now I should probably be homeward If you were to say the only opportunity I have to listen to James McMurtry right now is to turn off your podcast and go listen, I'd say turn off this damn show and go listen to him. The song is called Hurricane Party. We'll go look for the gray striped cat. It was built to take the wind back in 19 and 10. It was built to take the wind back in 19 and 10 when this was one damn fine town. But now there's no one to talk to when the lines go down. I could sit here and listen to James and Murtry music and do commentary over it the entire time with the anecdotes of his, whether they're real story, real anecdotes or storyline anecdotes that I can identify with every step of the way. It's, it's incredible. But now there's 
no one to talk to when the lines go down. Open up your back screen door. Let me see your face once more. My hands are cold and my feet so sore. And I can't go on this way. So I started to think about as another damn hurricane hits us uh, as we're it's all you know long gone now but the uh, disaster in its wake is still there and I'm starting to just think again like I think about when there's you know out on the high plains out in the west and in the midwest and there's tor- tornadoes and and constantly in the the hurricanes of both the gulf and the east coast Man, I just, I, how could you live in those areas and not just have a much higher stressed out life? Because you know it's coming. And I mean, it almost always is going to be there every single year during quote unquote tornado season. And I'm not a big global climate warm, uh, global warming kind of, uh, kind of guy. I remember back in the MySpace days. And I had a few people compliment me on this, and I I, I appreciated them them noticing it. You used to have the top friends that you could put there. I think it got up to sixteen eventually. I think it started with four, then it went to eight, and then to sixteen. And what I would do with my top four, eight or sixteen quote unquote friends was put point counterpoint uh, accounts like, oh, but global warming is going to kill you. Global warming isn't real. Democrats are awful. Republicans are your friend like uh you know differing uh, different accounts to try to if it maybe it was even maybe it was a little bit of a of, of a of a fake kind of um i don't know diversifying kind of mindset brain power maybe i don't know maybe I, maybe it wasn't totally real but that was a perception i was trying to make i've never really understood the global warming overall argument. I got this from Jeff Styles. I'm talking more about Jeff here in the next show with his podcast going. Uh, he's now up to number six, and I've got some thoughts on that. I'll get into that at another time. But I, I, I steal this from Jeff Styles. Ain't no global warming. It's global climate change. Global climate shifts. And I've always just been just bewildered by the idea that we Amer- human beings on this this nature planet earth are not affecting the way the soil and the water and the, and the temperatures and the way that the, the, the climate is uh, changed or doesn't change or the atmospheric pressure, all those things. It dumbfounds me that somebody can say that the human being is not affecting the ecosystem of the planet. I mean, I am not a very intellectual person. I'm a woefully uneducated person. You mean to tell me that you that you you don't think that our toxins and our poisonous nature of living doesn't somehow affect the ecosystem in which we live and potentially affect it very badly? That's a bad, bad uh, approach to that subject matter. Now, what we do about it, how we, you know, how we affect and, and change our lives and how we how we adjust to that, those are all conversations that I'm not having right now. But the idea that somebody could come to another human being and say, well, I don't know, global warming, I don't know if it's man-made or not. Man-made? Who, what? Is it the cat? Is it the dog? 
Is it the lizard? Is it the alligator? I mean, what do you mean? Man, is it man-made? Of course, it's man-made. Get a, a just do a simple experiment. Get a fishbowl. Put all the suggested scientific, you know, correct pH levels for a fishbowl, and dump a, 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 I don't care, an IPA beer in it, and see if that doesn't f up the damn ecosystem. Of course, it does. Of course it does. And the amount of toxins that we have out there, the amount of toxins we put in our own bodies, let alone, is another conversation for another day. So, of course, we're affecting the ecosystem. To say that we're not is just plain foolish. But we can't live the lives that we love and the lives that we want to live without a little bit of pollution. So, of course, yes, we're going to pollute a little bit. But this notion that it's... Oh, no, yeah, no, nothing we can do about it. Of course there's shit we can do about it. How about just clean up after yourself? I'm not a hippy-dippy type. I've never hugged a tree. I've not, I'm, I'm not a nature. As, I mean, I, I can appreciate beauty, but, but clean up after your damn self. Lower emissions if you can. Do your best to make the world cleaner, and whether that's in your house or at the park or at the river or in the ocean. And over time, is this affecting the way that these storms are hitting us? And I looked at a couple of different uh, uh, angles on this. This is from climatecentral.com. A new study by Carrie Emanuel, a prominent hurricane researcher at MIT, found that contrary to previous findings, tropical cyclones are likely to become more stronger and more frequent in the years to come especially in the western North Pacific, where storms can devastate the heavily populated coastlines of Asian nations. Emmanuel's research showed that the same holds true for the North Atlantic, where about 12% of the world's tropical cyclones spin each year. And then this just gets so in-depth with, with jargon that would just bore you know all of us together. Just a couple of things here towards the end of this piece. There are, however, two key points of, of agreement between Emmanuel's new study and the rest of the scientific literature on hurricanes and climate change. The first is that as ocean temperatures continue to increase, the frequency of high-intensity hurricanes is projected to increase as well. Then it goes on with a bunch of jargon as to why he thinks that. Of course, you know that the hurricanes happen because of the, the, the differences of the temperatures of the water and the temperatures of the air and all that atmospheric pressure stuff. Second, virtually all the studies show that tropical cyclones are likely to dump significantly more rainfall in coming years compared to historical record, and inland flooding is one of the leading causes of hurricane-related deaths and damages. Again, that's from a more little bit of a bias uh, standpoint. I get it. I don't know if that's created or not. So what I got to think about it more was, well, what about, what about 100 and 50 years ago. I'm not talking about a thousand years ago. I'm not talking about 500 years ago. I'm talking about where we're on the brink of modernized America, right? We have technology that is creating a quality of life that that uh, the world has never seen in America. So let's say 1850. Let's say 1875, 1825, 1901, anywhere in that neighborhood where they have just enough technology for their quality of life to have been increased. But how do they, what happened then? Were there just as many hurricanes then? And what happened when you just got bad weather on the coast in the Carolinas? Did you uh, freak out every time there was a thunderstorm? Because you didn't have any understanding of whether that was a hurricane that was about to destroy the villages? 
or it was just a thunderstorm that day? Did we have more marine uh, patrol where people were out on boats to come back and messenger and say, hey, this ain't no damn thunderstorm. This is something bigger than that. Were there mandatory evacuations? And were there just as many hurricanes in those primitive but yet still more modernized times than anybody had ever seen in the history of the world? This is from a website called What's Up With That, as in 1.21 gigawatts. What's Up With That? Their tagline is the world's most viewed site on global warming and climate change. U.S. hurricanes, worse than we thought 100 years ago. This historical analysis shows U.S. hurricane landfalls were much more frequent in the past. Severe weather is climate posers won't like this because it blows the whole CO2 is causing more hurricanes argument right out of the water. And it goes pretty in-depth. Again, I won't read all of it or barely any of it and bore you. It goes for pages and pages and pages. If you want to check it out yourself, wattsupwiththat.com. Highlights, number one being the busiest hurricane season ever for the United States is the 1886 hurricane season. It's been analyzed to be the busiest on record for the continental United States. Seven hurricanes were recorded to have hit the United States. A Category 2 in Texas and Louisiana. A Category 2 in Florida twice. A Category 1 in Florida. A Category 4 in Texas. And a Category 1 in Texas again. So the idea that current global climate crisis or global climate change or global warming, whatever you want to call it, is is the direct effect of all these hurricanes... Clearly, if this adds up to being factual, which, it, you know, based on the sources I see, it looks like it's at least close. It's not that big of a factor. But can it be making it worse? Well, yeah, of course, maybe it could be making it worse. But you certainly can make the argument that because of our innovations in the reduced, reduced emissions and the more clean uh, producing economy that we have has made it better. You can make both those arguments, and I would entertain both of them because neither of which, none of this is anywhere near my expertise. What I do say is clean up after yourself. <laughs> that's all. I, that's my whole stance on the environment. Don't throw garbage on the ground. Reduce emissions if you get a chance, but not at the risk of ripping off your county, Hamlet County emissions testing. Are you hearing me out there? And my biggest fascination of this when I started to look for content for the show was what did people do when we were just civilized enough to understand a hurricane might take us out, but we have no real way of tracking it. We have no satellites. We have no real kind of meteorology. How did, did, did that kind of life look like? How, what did that kind of life feel like? Before there was a TVA, when flooding of rivers and, 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 and seaboards was, was prevalent with just a week of rain. That was what fascinated me the most about that and made me go down that road. And that is all of this road I am going to do for today. This is the Weekly Dose for September 20th, one day late, my apologies, on the Stone On Air podcast. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, something tells me I probably will put uh, some kind of recording together for um, next week while I'm in Destin, Florida. But you know what? 
I just can't be too sure of that. So if you don't hear from me, I'll post it out on social media and let you know whether there will or won't be. But uh, as I mentioned regularly, without you, I got nothing. I appreciate it. I got to go. Y'all take care. See you later. Bye. One more beer. But a part-time pirate just can't get much respect around here. We got our problems too, man. We'll get to you in just a minute. Sit your drunk ass down. Yeah, there's no.